How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome in to the 51st episode of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. As we get ready for this show, our throw it back and chug a stat of the day. And honestly, this one's not even like that crazy of a uh, stat, but I wanted to share this guy's name. April 22nd, 1947, Chicago Cubs, third hitter in the order, goes by the name of Peanuts. Peanuts Lowry goes two for six with three runs driven in. Um, somehow the dude goes on that year to hit five home runs, 37 driven in. With two steals, so not a lot of lofty numbers. 714 OPS, so not like high efficiency. Yet he finished top 25 in MVP voting. Was it just because somebody saw the name Peanuts and was like, we got to give this guy an MVP vote? <laughs> Do you remember the year? I, I don't remember if it was this past year. I think it was two years ago. It was like Ryan Tapera received <laughs> MVP voting. And, and you're just like, where in the world did that come from? I would vote for Peanuts Lowry. I mean, especially if, like, the team that I just – like, 10th place vote. Who won the World Series that year? I'm curious because maybe the voters just hated whoever was good in 1947. We're well, it wouldn't have been up. the Cubs. 1947 World Series. I'm typing this in. We're talking about it as we speak. The World Series – oh, it was the Yankees and Dodgers, and the Yankees beat the Dodgers. Mm. Um, so maybe the writers just absolutely hated everything about New York, and they said, screw it. We want the Peanuts Lowry in there. So that's the only thing that makes sense. But that's, that's a pretty good throw it back. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of Charlie Brown, to be honest. <laughs> Apparently, Millie Bobby Brown's brother is named Charlie Brown. But that is a story for another day. What are you drinking tonight? <laughs> well, that is, that is quite the story. Um, I am deciding I'm going to pretend it's breakfast. And uh, I haven't had mimosas in a while. And I had some, shim- uh, you know, some chapas in the fridge and I had some orange juice and I thought, you know what? This combo sounds kind of nice. You know, I've been going a lot of hard alcohol on this show. And after the 50th episode, I think I'm going to be a morning guy now. Uh, I had to wake up for a story at four 30 in the morning the other day. And so I'm done being a night guy. I usually will tell people I'm not a morning person. Well, now I am Derek. And that's why I'm drinking a mimosa. This is the change in my life. I am now a morning person. Okay, um, so I have a question for you. First of all, what type of orange juice? And second of all, what is your champagne to orange juice ratio? Oh, yeah, the champagne to orange juice ratio. You're supposed to have 
no less than 95% champagne. So I decided to go with the 98.5% champagne and then 1.5% OJ. (laughs) That's what it is. And to be honest with you, the OJ, I'd have to look in my fridge right now, but it's usually that Florida um, Gulf is is what I go for. So anything that basically gives me that 1.5% is really all I care about. I've, I've seen some people do it with Sunny D, Tropicana, all sorts of things. Ooh, um, but yeah, I, I know someone who says you put just enough orange juice in there just to make people realize or, or think that you're not just drinking straight champagne. <laughs> all right. Um, for today's show, we are going to do an edition of Sip, Chug, Dump. What are you drinking? Early... Oh, I'm sorry. I just completely skipped. So I had a, a shooter of, of Jack Daniels. Poured it into a glass with a bunch of ice and just cracked a Coke, and we're doing a uh, Jack and Coke classic drink. All right, so what's the percentage of Coke to Jack in there? <laughs> so this actually, because there, there's only a limited amount, it was a shooter, so I poured the whole shooter. Um, so honestly, it's probably, I don't know, like 60, 40 of Coke. Um, typically, I would say, though, I go more like 50-50 on my pours of that. Um, you know, you don't want it to be too whiskey because then it just tastes gross, but you don't want it to be too lame where you're not really getting any, uh, any buzz from it, I guess. So More whiskey I think this better. is an okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, sip, ju- chug, dump, which sip, if you, you know, are sort of okay with it, chug, if you're totally all aboard it, and you love the taste of it and dump, if you are not about it at all for some early 2022 breakout starts. Now we're not going to get every breakout possible player. I also don't have on here uh, a ton of guys who maybe are are young players and were high prospects, like a like a Gavin Lux, for instance. He's not going to be on here because we expect that from him a little bit. Um, and we'll have, actually have a question for Gavin Lux later in the show. But uh, we're going to go through these. So the first one was a guy that I think you brought up last week, and uh, Merrill Kelly, starting pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He has been really good to start so far this year. He started three games. He has a .59 ERA in 15 and a third innings pitched, 18 strikeouts in that amount of time, 1.17 ERA. Um, are you sipping, chugging, or dumping to start for Merrill Kelly? You know, I'm sipping it. Uh, he's shown signs of life uh, back in 2020. He was fairly decent. Um, and then the injury, I think, just kind of really affected uh, his performance level. But Max exit velocity is lower than it ever has been against him, uh, which is always a nice thing to see, uh, especially for pitchers. And in the start that he's had, I mean, he's thrown uh, quality innings. His, his whip is a little higher than I want it to be uh, at 1.17 at the time of reporting. But he struck out 18 and 15 in a third innings. And so uh, that leads me to believe he's getting swings and misses. The one thing that's scary about him is that he's 34 years old. He hasn't had that long of a career in the league. And so you wonder how quickly guys are going to catch up to him. And remember, I mean, he hasn't had much longevity either. So I'm going to sip him just because I like what I've seen so far from him. And especially from his sinker, his sinker seems to be devastating hitters right now. He throws it 13.7% of the time and uh, the fastball, it's hit a little bit more. Um, and so he's mixing it up, I think a little bit more with the sinker. He also throws a change up a cutter and a curveball as well. So uh, I like what he's got to offer. I just don't know how long it'll last, so I'll sip it. I think it's a good sign when he's you know getting the high strikeout rate and chase rate and everything. Um, the stuff looks pretty good on him so far. I agree. I'm not going to fully go in on this. 
Like, what's my expectation for what he finishes within the season? I don't know, maybe like a high threes ERA, something like that, which I think would be a really good season, especially if in fantasy, like you just picked him up at the beginning of the year and it's a high threes ERA with uh, good strikeout numbers, but you're not really going to get a ton of wins there because he is on the Diamondbacks. So I'm sipping it because I am kind of buying into the idea that he is going to have kind of this full breakout year. It's just, is it what it is now where he looks like, you know, uh, the next coming of Robbie Ray, where it's like this pitcher who kind of comes out of nowhere, has shown some flashes before, and then wins Cy Young. No, I'm not expecting that. But he can be a quality pitcher for you. So, yeah, I, I uh, am in agreements with you on that one. The next guy is one of his teammates. That would be one Seth Beer, who Seth Beer is uh, probably the namesake of our show, to be completely honest. But he's hitting 400 right now. He was a guy who, you know, he was popping up on prospect lists. And then for whatever reason, he just kind of fell off and we didn't hear about him for about a year. And then he started to come up uh, last year and now he made the major league roster right off the bat and he looks really good. So uh, what are you doing with Seth Beer? I'm going to drink Seth Beer. And uh, normally I would say Sip I... Sip or chug? I, oh, I'm, I'm going to... I'm drinking him. I, I'm right in between. <laughs> I'm right in between. I mean, I if I have a beer, if I'm given a beer, I'm going mm-hmm. to chug it, right? So I guess in this case, I've got to chug it. But here's the one thing. I This is like a gulp. Yeah, I, I don't want to quite chug this because, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I really do believe in this guy. I think that his numbers aren't lying for what you can expect from him. And he's got some really positive uh, statistics. I mean, his exit velocity is in the 94th percentile, hard hit rate at the 85th. But I'm a little concerned about his barrel rate being on the lower end. He's got a fairly high whiff rate as well. Um, And I don't know how long this lasting experience of him hitting at the way that he has is going to go. It's such a small sample size. It's one of these guys that I feel like with more tape on him, they're going to figure him out. He was the top prospect. Okay, He's 26 years old, so he's technically in the heart of his prime. Um, And, you know, he played a season ago and barely got any at-bats. I mean – in total, though, at the MLB level, he's only had, you know, roughly 50 plate appearances. So I, I'm, I'm believing that he's going to offer something. However, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, elite numbers. Like, he's putting up elite numbers right now, and I just don't expect it to be that way. Yeah, I just – I don't love the fact – like, to your point, his average exit velocity was in the 94th percentile. His max, though, is not, like – a number that typically leads to a guy with high power numbers, which is fine. Like he doesn't have to be like a high power guy, but if you're not going to be a high power guy, you better not strike out 30% of the time, which is what he did last year. And even this year with the good numbers, he's still striking out 26% um, of the time so far. So I, I don't know what to do with this because from where it's at right now, where you have this expectation of this really good hitter, I would kind of be slowly pouring it out. I wouldn't completely dump it, but like overall long-term, if you're in a dynasty league, like I would want Seth beer on my roster, but I'm also not dump out beer. That is literally heinous. That is heinous work right there. I know. I know. That's bad thing to do, but our show is over. Our show is done. I, I just not totally buying into it. So like I, like I said, in a dynasty, I would go for it, but I think right now, if like I would not be trading for him, if that makes sense, because you're going to be trading for him at the height of his powers. If you want Seth Beer on your roster, wait a month. That that would be my advice there. So I, I'm in on him long term, but as far as him being like a total breakout, being like an all star, being uh, this great player, no, nah, I think he's just a solid player that's 
might be like on kind of the borderline of your roster when it's all said or done. Okay, uh, the next guy is Kyle Wright. And Kyle Wright, here's another guy who um, I know I said guys who maybe were, were high-end prospects wouldn't appear. But um, this is maybe the exception here because Kyle Wright, he kind of fell off the map after he was a, a high-level prospect, kind of, I guess, a little similar to Seth Beer. And now he is having a really good start to the season. He's started two games, 11 innings of work, 1.64 ERA, 15 strikeouts, 0.73 whip. What are you doing with Kyle Wright? Yeah, I'm, I'm chugging Kyle Wright, and uh, I'll tell you why. Derek and I, over the past few years, we've kind of recognized, and I think he'll agree, and he'll, he'll probably echo me to be honest on this, a lot of prospect pitchers like Kyle Wright that were top prospects that come up, they don't oftentimes succeed early on, and it takes them a while. It, it seems like the peak for pitchers at this point is almost at age 29, age 30. That's what we're seeing more of than these young guys coming up and dominating, right? And uh, part of that is experience. Part of that is just getting the reps in. And part of it is having to figure out how to pitch to major leaguers. And I think Kyle Wright has – rediscovered himself in some way one thing that I've noticed he uses his curveball more than any mm. other pitch uh, which is something that's super interesting he throws it 33 percent of the time and he is getting great success out of that pitch he throws his fastball a quarter of the time and he's a, he has a changeup and he has a sinker and a slider as well so he's able to mix and match uh, and if you look at his percentile rankings right now I mean He's fairly much, I would say he's at the elite level right now compared to the rest of the league. And this is so early that it is a small, small sample size. But the kid out of Vanderbilt, you know, he was a first round pick. I think he's living up to the expectation we all thought he would have. And, you know, maybe now we're actually seeing what happens when time takes, you know, it takes time to develop. And I think we're actually watching that unfold with a guy like Kyle Wright. So I will chug this one. Yeah, I'm going to chug on this with you, too. And I, everything you said about um, kind of the aging pitchers is becoming a thing. And, and that is a tangible difference. I mean, there's two tangible differences. One, uh, if you just compare it to last year, his fastball is averaging 95. Last year was 93.6. Now, if you go back even further years, then it's 94.7 and stuff. So maybe not totally different there. But, yeah, it's, it's not just that he's using the curveball so much this year. Like you said, 33% of the time. Batters are hitting 067 against it early this year, and that is a huge difference in what he's done in the past. 2021, he used the curveball 14% of the time. 2020, he used it 13% of the time. It was his least used pitch. 2019, he used it 12% of the time and threw his forcing fastball 43% of the time. Now it's down to 27%. He's, he's much less predictable as a pitcher, and I think you've seen this from – um, the development kind of of baseball. And I think Rich Hill does have like a lot to do with this. Rich Hill, uh, you know, four or five years ago, whenever he kind of had his breakout um, and resurgence, was a curveball first guy because he had such a good curveball and he's still doing it. And I think you're starting to see more guys nowadays because, you know, in, in years past it was, okay, you have, to, you have to start with the fastball and work off of that. Now it's like, no, if, if your curveball is your best pitch, like use that the most. And um, I think that's really helping Kyle Wright. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm chugging on Kyle Wright. I really like what we've seen so far from him. The next guy is a batter on the Colorado Rockies. That would be one Connor Joe, former San Francisco giant Connor Joe, but they let him get away, unfortunately. What are you doing with Connor Joe? This is, <laughs> this is probably one of the hardest ones, to be honest, on this list that we have. And I'll tell you why. It's because Connor Joe hits in Colorado. And so – 
the success that he's had, it's hard to attribute exactly how much of that success has happened because he's been hitting in Colorado. If you look at his spray chart, um, he's pretty much a dead pole hitter uh, is at least what you can kind of come across with here. He makes solid contact, but I'm kind of concerned about the exit velocity. Um, he doesn't have a high chase rate, so I think he can hit for average. Uh, he could slug decently well as well, but I, I don't know if I love the peripheral numbers, to be honest. I think what he's doing right now is – uh, probably something you're not going to be seeing a month from now. However, he hits in Colorado. So everything changes for 81 games this season, right? And I think he's rosterable. I think that he offers value in the sense that he plays first base and outfield. And I think that he offers value because he can hit decently well in a ballpark where the ball flies. And so I'm going to sip this because I don't believe in the numbers we're seeing right now. He is a career average hitter of 283 which is fairly solid uh, but a slugging percentage at 468 as opposed to the 605 that he's been posting as of now I just don't believe in it thus far yeah so I'm sipping as well he's 30 years old he's not a guy that I'm gonna totally chug with but yeah I, I do like the fact I mean you said you don't really know how good it would be at another park but the good news is he does play at Colorado and, and maybe he would be a guy that gets traded at the deadline and, and who knows what would happen there. But, you know, I look at his hard hit, right. It's basically in line with where it was last year. Same with his K percentage, right around 20%. His walk percentage is uh, right around where it was last year. And in fact, just a little bit better than it was last year. So if we're looking at that and I go back and look at last year's stats, he only played in 63 games. Um, I think it's fair to say on this year's team, he's going to play obviously more games. Is he going to play every game for them? No, obviously not. But he played 63. Let's say he were to play around 130, which would basically be double what he did last year. If you just double his stats, because, again, some of those rates are the same this year, he'd be on pace for 16 home runs, 70 RBIs with the 285, 379 slash line. Is that a top 100 player? Yeah, no. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, he should be, yeah, with that, with that in mind. I should also say a 470 slugging. Like, I don't yeah. know, maybe it's not top 100, but if not, it's, it's darn near close. It's so close. I am close. actually, uh, the further I talk, I'm, I'm getting closer to a chug, but I'll still lean sip on uh, the man with two names, Connor Joe. <laughs> Next up on the list is Houston Astros rookie shortstop. That would be one Jeremy Pena, who uh, really impressed in spring training. And so far so good for him with the Astros is uh He's been good with the glove. He's been good hitting the baseball. What are you doing with Jeremy Pena? Uh, I got to chug this. Uh, I think he's incredibly raw. And if you're not a patient fantasy owner, then you may have some issues here in the second half of the year with him. But if this is a keeper league you're in, you're absolutely holding on to this guy. I think that he offers great value moving forward. Uh, his percentile, it's interesting. His percentages, if you look across it, he's had a pretty high whiff rate. He's got a high chase rate. But he's fast, he's got power, he connects, and when he does, it's going a long way. He also is a dead pull hitter. Um, he's a young player. You know, you're going to expect the highs and lows from this guy, but he's the Astros' top prospect as, at this point. Um, I really do like what he's offered, and the fact that he's hit this well early on, I just can imagine, even when the league adjusts him, that if he can make the necessary adjustments to, I guess, reinforce what he's been doing right now, I, I love what he can do moving forward. Mm, see, this one's tough for me. I think, honestly, like, okay, in a dynasty, I'm just holding. I'm just holding. Um, in 
a one-year league, I think I'm trying to sell high right now. So for that situation, I'm totally going to dump him out. I totally um, agree on that. I think I, I, the league is going to adjust to him is my guess. And yeah. based on the numbers with the whiff rate and the chase rate, pitchers are going to adjust, especially in the second half of the year. So I completely agree with you. If you own him in a one-year league, this is the time to sell right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think at some point he will. I mean, if you look at Steamer right now, um, obviously it's, it's harder to, to do projections for guys like this who are just coming up and are rookies and you don't really know what the situation is going to be. But it does take into account like minor league stats and some other stuff. So um, it has him for 20 home runs, 60 RBI, 11 steals with a 250 average, 315 OBP, 439 on base. Those are all fine numbers. Like those can all very much help you in a lot of different ways. So uh, from that standpoint, he'll still be a useful player in everything, even if he does drop off a little more. But given how he started and how he is a rookie and there is that flash appeal to him, uh, maybe even in a dynasty, I would be trying to sell high um, at that situation if you could get the right offer for him. Um, but yeah, especially in a one-year league, I would uh, be trying to sell high on him. So I'm dumping a little on uh, Jeremy Pena. Brad Keller is uh, Royals starter, which by the way, I would just like to bring this up. Um, Zach Greinke so far has faced, I forget if it's 56 or 57 batters so far this season. And uh, of those, only one has struck an out. So uh, he's not getting any strikeouts. But also, it is absolutely remarkable because he still has a low 2 ERA. It's a 2-2-5. And yet the flip side to that, again, even with a 2-2-5 ERA and three starts, he doesn't have a win yet. But nonetheless, Brad Keller has been the other Royals' best pitcher so far. He's uh, got a ERA of 1.38. He's you know, looked really good at 26 year, year old. And, you know, he was a guy who does have like a lot of major league experience for being 26 years old. This is his fifth full season upcoming in the MLB. I guess not full because of the 2020 season, but uh, what are your thoughts on Brad Keller so far? It is wild to think about the fact that he's been in the league this long. And I also am shocked that, you know, he's in his age 27 season for whatever reason, there are guys that look like they've been around for years and they're 30 plus. And I've always assumed that he was that case. And, then you look at the numbers, the stats, whatnot, and you're like, dang, this guy has been around for a little bit. With that being said, he hasn't really had put-away stuff particularly. His 2020 season was very impressive, so you know that he can shut guys down, uh, specifically because he gets a high chase rate, but his stuff particularly isn't dominant, and that scares me a little bit, uh, especially when he has to go up against the White Sox. And shockingly, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Guardians are – putting some kind of offense together. Uh, you have the Tigers that have looked decent offensively as well. I, I don't love Brad Keller. I'm going to honestly probably dump at this point. And if you own him, maybe trade him at this point. I just don't see a lot of future value. I'm also not a you know high floor guy. I don't love high floor players. And that's more of how I see Brad Keller. Yeah, that's fair. I, I do think there is something – to be said about um, the new baseball, or it's not new because they were using it last year, but last year, you know, as the story goes, there were certain like primetime games where Rob Manfred was like, well, let's use this ball or that ball. And we didn't get the more dead-end ball in all the games, some of the games we got. So, so this year, I think we have more of the dead-end ball. And the Royals have one of the better pitchers parks. And I think that that is helping. Like back to that stat on Zach Greinke, he's only struck out one guy and he has a 2-2-5 ERA because that outfield is just a – it's a, you know, 10 acre field essentially to try to get it out of there. And so that helps a guy like Brad Keller. And so I, 
I'm not like buying more into him, but I'm definitely not gonna gonna pour him out. Like he's just I'm, I'm just sitting there with what it is. I, I've liked what I've seen so far. Um, is it gonna sustain the way it is with a low one ERA? No, of course not. Ninety one percent of batters are being left on base right now, which is an insanely high number. But you look at his like FIP, you look at his expected ERA right now. They're both in the low threes. If he can be a guy who even has a mid threes, high threes ERA with um, you know, not a great strikeout number. I think you view him as a guy who he is going to be very beneficial, especially once you get to playoff time as a spot starter, a guy that when they're playing against, you know, some of these other teams, um, whether it's, it's a team with a down offense or a team that they're playing in Kansas city that doesn't have a great offense that you feel like can help sustain the ball being in the park. I think that I kind of view it as like, he's a guy that I want to stream a lot this season. And if he's like the back end pitcher on my roster, then I'll take that. But I don't really want to like sell on him either. Um, it is crazy though, that he's 26 because like you said, even though he does have a lower ceiling, it feels like the age would make you think, Oh, but maybe he does because he's accomplished all this. But yeah. Uh, the next guy on the list is one that I think you have in, our fantasy league. That would be Owen Miller, who's off to a phenomenal start, although I believe he is now on the uh, IL. What are your thoughts on Owen Miller? Yeah, he's actually on the COVID IL list at this time. So uh, I think the return now, is that five days or is that seven? I, I honestly don't remember what the, the change has been. There's a change to that rule because um, now obviously the quarantine level is, I believe, no longer 10 days. It's restricted, but it may be like a seven-day IL. Either way, uh, Owen Miller is on the COVID IL, um, which is a good sign. I know nobody wants COVID, but to be honest, if you're a fantasy owner, you'd rather the guy has COVID than has some ankle injury or something like that. And Owen Miller has surprised me. I'll be honest. I had no idea who this guy was. I looked into his numbers a little bit before I picked him up and I was impressed by his oppo power, uh, was incredibly impressed. I saw his series in Cincinnati and he looks like a natural. He's age 25. Um, he's out of Illinois State. He was drafted by the Padres. Uh, he was a third-round pick. He's never been slept on per se, but I don't think any of us knew who he was uh, coming into this year. And with that being said, I mean, his expected batting average, incredibly high. Hard hit rate, it's above average. Max exit velocity, same thing. But his average exit velocity is in the 84th percentile. Expected slugging's 87. So I think that we've got something there. What may be the most impressive is his whiff rate is in the 98th percentile. What's interesting, though, is chase rate is in the 16th percentile. So when he chases, he's probably going to be chasing often, but he doesn't whiff. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens with him. I think the one underrated stat to him, he is one of the fastest players in the league. His sprint speed, he's in the 88th percentile. Um, so curious to see what that'll do. He has first base and second base eligibility. You know what? I own him in fantasy. There's a reason why I'm chugging Owen Miller. He was ranked number one at one point. Whenever you see your guy ranked number one, there's something about it that you just feel like you can't trade them. And I'm stuck in that bubble after knowing who this guy even existed, maybe what, like two weeks ago. Uh, but I'm chugging it just because I think the situation's there. He's going to be starting every day. Um, and do I expect the numbers that he's putting out to continue? No, but I do you think don't he's think not, he's going to continue to hit 500. <laughs> hitting 500, probably not going to be a thing. An OPS of 1.509. I mean, my goodness, he slugged 964, which is asinine. But if you're telling me this guy can give me speed, he can maybe be a 2020 guy, uh, and it sounds like based off his peripheral numbers, that's actually a possibility. 
I obviously I'm keeping that guy. So yeah, I, I will chug this. So I'm actually going to dump Owen Miller. Um, I think he's a, he's a solid player, but um, I'm not buying the, the early power search. He had four home runs. You know, you look at his minor league numbers of recent years now, not in a ton of games, but low A in, in 2018 and a ball combined. Um, he played 75 games. He hit four home runs in Double-A ball in 2019, he did hit 13, but then triple-A, 48 games, uh, power, seven home runs. So, like, I don't think he's a huge home run guy. I think he can be double digits. I just am not buying, you know, uh, whatever. Or I'm sorry, he had four home runs last year. Uh, kind of the early surge of, like, you're going to hit two home runs every 10 games. I'm not really seeing that. The Max EV uh, doesn't really love that either. I also see a guy who in triple-A in his first go-around majors last year Strikeout rate in the 25 to 27 range is down to 15 so far. His BABIPs at 545. I think a lot of things are going to drop for Owen Miller. I don't love the lineup protection, even though the Guardians are playing great baseball right now overall. I don't love it around him. I feel like this is just one of those early season, um, I guess, stories. Like, remember your mean Mercedes last year? Right. And that fell off a qu- cliff rather so, quickly. I, I have a counter to you. And mm-hmm. – I, I agree. I mean, you can't obviously overlook the numbers that you listed, and, and those are very valid arguments. But Owen Miller, I, I was reading up on him uh, prior to picking him up, and part of the reason why he's had this crazy difference in, in this breakout, if you will, uh, he's had a complete swing change. And part of that is he hired Chris Valeka, which, uh, you know, the Valeka family actually, Derek and I are both from Santa Clarita, California. Blake has had a massive impact in our city. Um, you had Chris, you had Pat. Uh, we, we had one that was our age as well. Um, I mean, they just know baseball. And Chris Valeka is, I believe, a third base coach or he's AAA affiliate or something with the Chicago Cubs. Anyways, the guy knows how to hit. He knows how to coach it. He has an entire coaching facility dedicated to it, and they completely re- revamped it, uh, Miller's swing. And apparently it has just completely changed him from his time in minor leagues. And uh, he was torching minor league pitching in AAA uh, going into this. He was hitting like 560 um, as well at one point. And so I I just, I'm curious to see if that change has had any difference long-term, but I agree. I think Derek puts up good points that, you know, don't expect guys that break out early to keep the consistency moving forward. So there's a two, there's a school of thought both ways, but I do like when you find out about a guy that, changes his swing you've seen it with Chris Taylor that's a pretty good one Max Muncy was that same way you see a lot of the Dodgers kind of that maybe came out of nowhere Justin Turner those are the guys that have kind of become mainstays in the league and who knows maybe Owen Miller caught some sort of fire by meeting up with Chris Valeka and uh, we'll see what happens with that yeah that's a good point to bring up because um, it's it's you know as you're looking to things that could be real could be tangible why is this different than what's been in the past you need things like that. So for like pitchers, you can point to and say, well, the pitch usage is different or they're using this pitch that they're better at or they're throwing X amount of miles per hour better. We saw that last year with Cedric Mullins. He changed from a switch hitter to being just a lefty and it helped him a lot. And uh, maybe that could be a similar situation for uh, Owen Miller. How about his teammate though, Stephen Kwan, who's also off to a hot start. He uh, started off actually hotter, and then Miller kind of usurped him there. But Quan's hitting 387 with a 524 OBP. Thoughts on Stephen Quan? It really is dependent on what type of statistics your fantasy league offers. I think there's value to Stephen Quan. Um, this guy clearly has unbelievable 
eye for the baseball. I mean, his contact rate is ridiculous. His strikeout rate is ridiculous. He doesn't have that high of a barrel rate, but also if you look at kind of the following numbers, it makes a lot of sense. He's one of the lowest in average exit velocity, max exit velocity, hard hit rate. He's in the bottom end of the league, uh, but that's not his value point either. So if you want average, if you want a guy that's going to get on base, Stephen Kwan's got great value, I think. He's 24 years old. He mashed at Oregon State. And I actually was kind of tipped on him before this season started. I was told that this kid was going to break out given his opportunity. And I I kind of overlooked it, um, I'll be honest. And I wish I had talked about him because I was definitely told about him. And I I really overlooked him because he was part of that, you know, Cleveland squad that really has not produced great hitters. And all of a sudden, you know, you have like three to four guys that are breaking out. And maybe it's just this crew that's also kind of coming together and um, similar hitting instructors. I I don't know. I don't know what is the deal here. But Stephen Kwan to me has legitimate value if you're looking for a guy that can give you on base percentage, average. Just know his slugging is probably going to look a lot like that on base percentage. Yes, exactly. So I'm actually sipping Stephen Kwan. He's only 24 years old. I like his long-term outlook of being that kind of player. I don't think the ceiling's like super high. Um, this might sound like a negative, but I, I uh, let me explain. I uh, my player comp that I kind of get from him, just in terms of production, is like prime Omar Infante. Okay, <laughs> so if you remember Omar Infante, like with the the Braves, he had a couple years where he was hitting like over 300, 360 OBP. Really low slugging, maybe seven, eight home runs, like 50 runs batted in, handful to seven, eight steals. That's kind of the projection on Stephen Kwan right now. Um, you look at Steamer, he's projected for 275, 363, 12 home runs, 58 runs batted in, six steals. Like, uh, he's a good contact guy. I think he'll actually be better than, than maybe those um, projections indicate. So, like you said, if you're looking for average, definitely all about it. But if you need power, you should probably try to trade him away because honestly, he's going to hurt you in some power categories. But overall, I would uh, be sipping Stephen Kwan. I actually like the long term better on him than uh, Owen Miller. The next guy is a guy for your Los Angeles Dodgers, and he's finally kind of getting a, a starting gig right off the bat because of the fact that the Dodgers don't have as much depth in the rotation. That would be Tony Gonsolin. Yeah, Gonsolin looked really good against the Atlanta Braves. He had five no hit innings. Um, I, I- you know, Gonsolin has had success in the past. In fact, uh, one of my favorite trivia questions is, who was on the mound for the Dodgers uh, the day they won the World Series in Game 6 against the Rays? It was Tony Gonsolin. He's had the big game experience. He's been out there throughout an entire postseason. It's not like this is the first time he's emerged, right? He's 27 years old. Um, this is his first actual chance to for a full round in the rotation because the Dodgers' depth is so weak. Keep in mind, he's working with guys like Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias. Mark Pryor is his pitching coach. They're going to get the best out of him. And you've seen the percentiles. I mean, the hard hit rate is elite right now. Um, I'm a little worried about the walk percentage. He is getting too many guys on base in that sense. Um, The K rate is not particularly impressive. But everything else is pretty much what you'd expect from your number four starter. And I think that translates to value in fantasy, especially if you're in a league that has wins, maybe quality starts. The Dodgers are going to need a guy that goes deep in ball games. I think Gonsolin can go six innings almost every start. He's shown this in the past too. This is, this is not a shock to me at all that he's pitching this way. I just don't expect the ERA to be the nicest ERA there is at 
69. You know, like expect that that ERA is going to be more in the threes. Um, but he's got value. Uh, I would say just for a one-year league, I'm actually chugging this because I don't think there's a lot of great starters out there uh, that are available. And so if he's a free agent in your league, I mean, swoop him now because he's going to get you wins. He's going to get you those quality starts. He's not going to be dominant, but he's going to be helpful enough to at least help your percentages, uh, help your numbers overall. I, I think that there's value to that. If you're in a keeper league, you're sipping this because I don't think he's got a ton of long-term value. Um, but especially this year, I do think he's got some significant value considering the Dodgers rotation is just not that deep. Yeah, I'm sipping him. There is a part of me that's worried about the low strikeout numbers, the walk number being up there, the left on base percentage is at like 94%. The ground ball rate is at 50%, which his career is at 38%. So there's some things in there that, that make you worry. But also with his ERA being under one, like you have some things that you can get worse at and still have a good year there. And I do think the strikeout numbers, because his career strikeout numbers are, like his K per nine is, is a little bit over nine. So even if some of the, you know, the left on base rate, or the ground ball rate drops down for him, if the strikeouts go up and, and the walks go a little bit down, he fine tunes that, it'll help counteract that a little bit. And um, I, I kind of view this as like that, you know, that meme where the guy's in space and he's looking like down at the earth and he's like, and then the guy's behind him with the gun, the astronaut. Um, yeah. it's like the sort front guy is like, <laughs> right. The guy, the guy in the front is like, wait, Tony Gonsolin is one of the Dodgers best pitchers. And then the guy behind him, he's like, always has been, you know what I mean? Like maybe not one of the best because Walker Buehler and Julio Urias and Clayton Kershaw, but always nonetheless, been good. he's always been exactly, good. exactly. And, and you might look and say, oh man, his XERA is 3.03 yet his ERA is under one and his FIP is 3.46 and his XFIP is 4.57. But you have to look back at the history because there are just some guys that with certain metrics just outperform them every year for whatever reason. And he is one of those guys. You go back to uh, 2019, he had a 2.93 ERA. His ex-FIP was 4.9. 2020, he had a 2.31 ERA. His ex-FIP was 3.8. 2021, it was a 3.23. His ex-FIP was 4.63. It's not that he's going to revert to what the ex-FIP is. It's that he just constantly overperforms that. So expect for him to overperform that. So I am sipping him. Um, but like I said, I am a little bit worried unless the strikeouts start to come. And then I might be chugging him at that point. How about his uh, Dodgers teammate now injured, but quite the start for him, Andrew Heaney. I mean, even with the injury, uh, I was listening to uh, an interview from Andrew Heaney. And it sounds like mechanically, it, it goes back to kind of the points I made about Gonsolin. I think Mark Pryor has a pretty key impact on these starting pitchers for the Dodgers. Uh, let's not forget Mark Pryor at one point was dominant with the Chicago Cubs uh, before a guy with my name kind of maybe used him a little more than, than he should have. Um, but I, Andrew Heaney's numbers look incredible. Uh, his arm, I, I would say just his angle uh, at which he's throwing and, and specifically the breaking ball that he's been throwing has really played a key role in making him a successful starter I don't know if his ERA is going to be exactly where it's at uh, in a sense that, you know, I mean, it's not going to be zero, which is currently what it's at. His career ERA is 465, okay? I could see him in a Dodgers jersey having like a 350, 375 ERA. But I do think he's going to have more quality starts. He strikes guys out at an effective level right now, 16 Ks over 10 and a third. Um, I'm a little concerned about the injury, but – uh, you know, especially when he has a dominant start and goes on the IL, that is obviously room for concern. But 
I, I would still, it's so early in the year that I'm going to chug this because I do think there's some value. However, I know that for Derek's purposes, uh, we have our keeper league and Derek traded him the moment that he could once Heaney had uh, that huge strikeout game. So Derek, go ahead. Tell us, uh, since I, I'm chugging him moving forward, are you doing the opposite? Well, no, I'm actually, I'm actually in on him, but um, I don't know that I'm quite at a chug. I, I might go to what you said earlier and just do like a drink because I'm between a sip and a chug. I, I actually am in on him. I, I thought about this trade. I just, I needed hitting in that league and I got offered Josh Bell for Andrew Heaney, which I thought was a good offer, fair offer. So I decided to take it, but uh, there is a part of me that wonders if Andrew Heaney is that next kind of, you know, Kevin Gossman, Robbie Ray type guy who is going to kind of break out in that way. And, and one of the differences is a, a pitch change that he's made. Um, he hasn't thrown a slider since 2016. He's thrown a slider this year. At least that's how Savant is tracking it. Now, I think if you ask more people, they would say it's that sweeper pitch, which is the new pitch that they've added along. And, and we'll get to more of that in a second. Um, but he's thrown it 48% of the time as well. It's been a really effective pitch for him. Batters are hitting just 100 against it. They have 10 strikeouts in 21 plate appearances. So it's clearly been something the Dodgers helped him add and refine, and it's been awesome for him. So to that standpoint, I am very much buying into this. I do think he's going to be a very valuable pitcher for him. The question is, he's 31 years old. How's the durability going to be if you're suffering an injury at this point in the season? Um, but I think he can be a really useful piece for them. So I, I actually am in on Andrew Heaney. Uh, Jesus Sanchez is a guy you have in fantasy. I am so happy I do. Uh, I temporarily dropped him to pit, make a stupid ad, and then thank God nobody swooped in on him, and I picked him right back up when I could. The irony is I was actually criticized for who I dropped, which was Ranger Suarez, to pick up a guy that I think gives me way more future value in Jesus Sanchez. And my goodness, the way that this guy has just teed off this year. I mean, let's not forget a year ago, he was ripping apart AAA, and there has to be some value to that. He is a young, young player. He was a top prospect, remember, in the uh, Rays organization. And uh, it seems like he's carved out a role as the either number three or number four hitter in the Marlins lineup. We've seen him hit at one and two also. But you know he's going to be somewhere in that top four, so he's going to get plate appearances. And get this, Derek. Okay, he's got one. He's got two. He's got three. He's got four, five, six, seven. He has seven multi-hit games already. Which is uh, I wish, I wish you were just going to keep counting for the rest I, of the show. I, I, I mean, that was my plan, honestly. Maybe on day one sixty-two, I'm going to start doing that. Like, like <laughs> we'll revisit this, and the entire show will be Jesus Sanchez. I will do this for you if you have a, if you have a Yahoo League, do yourself a favor if you're bored, and go to the comments for Jesus Sanchez specifically on Easter. <laughs> <laughs> the Easter comments were just the greatest, and I. I mean, I've never seen something that made me laugh more. So go to his comments. They are absolutely incredible. I live for the comment section in Yahoo. Uh, but I, I'm chugging Jesus Sanchez. I think there's a ton of future value there. The way that he's sitting right now, he does not look like he's slowing down. The day of recording, he went two for three. Shocker, had two hits and a home run. So he's showing power. Uh, he's showing signs that he can hit for average. Um, he's going to get the at-bats in Miami. And uh, I, I don't see it really slowing down too much. I'm actually going to slowly pour this one out. I, I thought about just standing still. Like you said, he's hitting really well. He raked in AAA last year, came up and uh, kind of finished out hot for the Marlins last year. But I, uh, 
the dude doesn't walk at all. He has a 2.3% walk rate. And um, he seems like a guy to me that is going to be very streaky this year, which there's going to be weeks. There's going to be, you know, a month or so where maybe it's this, this first month of the season where he kind of carries you and, and really helps your fantasy team. And there's going to be another month in there where he's hitting 150 or something like that. And he's not the type of guy who uh, you keep on your roster if that's the case. So I think eventually I would not be surprised if he finds your way off your roster, but I hope I'm wrong. Cause I do like Jesus. So um, I do. I love, right I love, I love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Rowdy Telez is the next player for the Milwaukee Brewers showing off a bit of power so far for the Brewers thoughts on uh, him. I, I have a hard time on this one. Um, number one, I just don't like buying this Brewers team offensively right now. I also think eventually Keston here is going to swipe that role. Uh, I just have a gut feeling, but Rowdy's been hitting incredibly well to start out. I just, it, you know, he's had so many opportunities. Uh, he was in a hitter's ballpark before this as well. I don't know if it's going to last. I mean, he's in his age 27 season, so you can make the argument that, you know, he is still in his prime. His max exit velocity is incredible. Okay, he's in an elite level of max exit velocity. Honestly, across the board, he doesn't look bad numbers-wise. I just don't know if I believe it. Like, he hasn't put up these kind of numbers before, and he's had numerous opportunities to do that. Um, I could be totally wrong on him. I mean, his chase rate is a little higher. His whiff rate's um, fairly average. He is no off. I mean, he does not offer you any speed whatsoever. He's super poor in that department. And he's a pull guy. You know, he's going to pull everything pretty much to right field. So, I I don't know. I have a hard time believing on this guy. He's got great pop. I just don't know if there's future value. So, I'm just kind of sitting still with it, leaving the drink on the table with this one. He actually has a lower strikeout rate than you think over the last, like, three years for a power guy. And – I think the beauty of that, like if you're in an OBP league, maybe I'm, I'm dumping it a little bit, but in an average league, I love it because uh, the beauty of that for a guy that hits it so hard, like his bad is only 259 right now for his career, it's at 280. Um, the average should be buoyed somewhere. I mean, it was 242 last year, but it was 283 the year before that, 270 right now. Uh, again, the OBP is not going to be great because he doesn't take a ton of walks, but the power is going to be there. The slugging is going to be there. And, yes, like I do have my questions about how many plate appearances uh, he's really going to get with the Brewers. But you look at projections, it has him for, like, high 300s, low 400s. I think he could touch closer to 450, um, something like that. So I, I'm just going to sit tight with him and, and wait it out a little longer, wait it out maybe another couple weeks and, and see how it goes. Because I'll say this, one thing for the Brewers, um, they need as many bats and as much thump in the lineup as they can get because they are uh, severely lacking there. The next guy is a you know pitcher that I was really eyeing before the season started, but then when the Mets made all these offseason moves, um, I didn't even think he was going to be in the rotation to start, so I kind of just lost track of him. But then due to injury, he eventually made his way back into the rotation, and that is Tyler McGill, and he has been fantastic to start the year. Yeah, I have to chug this. I, I do say that – um, if you're in a K per nine league, you have to be aware that he may not necessarily help you percentage wise in that category, but everything else he's pretty much going to help you in. It's not like he doesn't strike guys out. He's just not going to do it at a high rate. Um, 
he hasn't faced terrible offenses either. Washington, I mean, he's still got to face Soto, Nelson Cruz. He had to go on the road in Philadelphia, and he shut them down. He had a little bit less success against the Giants, but let's be honest, the Giants are able to put good at-bats together, and I, I, I kind of let that one pass. His whip is under one. Um, I, to me, I think that he's got future value. He's in a rotation with two future Hall of Famers, and it kind of goes back to the whole concept that I had with uh, Tony Gonsolin, that there's something to be said about when you're surrounded by good talent, you're going to learn from that talent. They're going to give you pointers. He's a righty pitcher. Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, both righties. They probably are going to give him advice along the way. I think that's going to be the unwritten value to him as well. And now he does have that opportunity because DeGrom is hurt. And, um, I mean, you've Carrasco in that rotation who's been around the league for a long time. You can make an argument. Taiwan Walker is going to offer some value there. I just think McGill is going to learn a lot through the process here. He's a young guy, and you're seeing that he's got signs of being a possible powerhouse pitcher. Not a guy that's going to overpower you, but a guy that can go in day in, day out, and take care of the job. I would almost compare him to like what you see with Zach Greinke right now where you know not quite the strikeout rate because Grinky literally strikes nobody out at this point. But you're going to see that he can give you close to quality starts. I think they're going to probably extend him a little more throughout the year. He's a young guy. Uh, I, I think there's plenty of future value. I'm chugging this. Yeah, so I'm chugging Tyler McGill as well. The one thing that I'm going to be watching is that home run rate. Um, so these are his home run rates or home run per nine uh, numbers from 2018 – through 2021 from low A all the way through double A. 0. 0.64, 0.29, 0.25, 0, 0.35. So all fantastic home run per nine numbers. Then he gets up to triple A in 2021. It's 1.26. Then it gets up in the MLB last year to 1.91, which is really high. So far this year, it's a 0.55. Does that have something to do with, like I said, more of the dead end baseball? And if that's the case, you have a really good pitcher who maybe the one bugaboo over the past couple of years has been giving up the home run ball. And if you have less to worry about that now, that's even better for him. Um, yeah, you're right. He's not like a huge strikeout pitcher, but I don't think he's really going to hurt you there either. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was consistently into the 10 to 11, 12 range in Caper 9 in the minors. He was at nearly 10 last year. He's still at the low eights this year. I'm really in on Tyler McGill. I think they uh, really have something here to the New York Mets. All right, Yerkson Profar has been uh, playing a lot of baseball for the Padres with uh, Fernando Tatis out so far. What are your thoughts on Profar, the former number one prospect? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting to bring up the number one overall prospect. I think that really hurt his value throughout his career, to be honest, that he always had this weight on his shoulders when he was in uh, – it all started in Texas, really, and and there was really not ever a point in time in his career until he got to San Diego where you saw any true value. Uh, maybe a little bit in Oakland. But basically, just looking at what Profar has been doing uh, over the last few weeks, I mean, I, I at least buy it to a certain degree. His exit velocity is way higher right now than it was in previous years. I mean, we're talking about a five-mile-per-hour difference. Um, and I think that there is some serious value to look at that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I buy him completely yet just because, you know, you've seen that he's had his struggles in the past. And 29 is an interesting age. Um, it's one of those where it's really a make it or break it. But you've seen guys kind of like Jose Batista come out of nowhere after struggling early on. Maybe Profar is kind of more of that Batista guy that really picks it up later in his career. And if so, 
I mean, who knows? I, he's got a starting role right now with the Padres. And so for that, I'm going to sip him. And it's more of a wait and see kind of thing from that point on. If he keeps walking at a career high rate, then I'm chugging um, because he's had some power there. I didn't even remember this. He had two 20 home run seasons and back-to-back years in 2018, 2019. He has the ability to get 10 steals. He has the ability to get a lot of playing time for you. Um, the average usually isn't totally there, but his BABIP is at 214 right now, and yet he's hitting 256. I'm not sure how that works, but uh, nonetheless, I think that there's a lot there for Profar. I really do. So I am actually – I'm sipping, but like I said, if you could guarantee me the walk rate stays where it is, then I'm going to be chugging on that one. The last one we have here is Jock Peterson, who has been really good for the Giants so far. Jock is such an interesting – topic because this is the highest we've ever seen his average since his rookie season right and he's in a ballpark where the ball doesn't fly he's age 30 Um, this is now his fourth team that he's played for Uh, he happens to be playing for literally a rival of the team that he started out with but he's also at home and that's something that you can't take numbers from right like there's I, I think we have a really hard time sometimes by thinking about the human element of this game, right? He went to Palo Alto High School, so that's right down the road from San Francisco. He's in a ballpark where, yeah, the ball doesn't fly, but he also can launch it to right field like with the best of them, right? So I don't know. I kind of actually think I might be chugging this. It's, it's a hard for me because I don't expect the average to be at this height, and I don't really expect the on-base percentage to be much better. Uh, it's pretty much right at his career average of 333. His career average is 332. So you talk about, uh, you know, seeing consistency. That's basically where he's at in that department. But we've seen Jock thrive on the biggest stage, right? We've seen him do that before. And I don't know if there's been a tweak in his swing. I don't know if it's the consistent plate appearances. I, I kind of chug him. I, I just think that I like the fact that there's that human element, that storyline behind him that at least adds to it. I, now, with that being said, do not expect the average to be anywhere near 290. That's just not going to stay long-term. And we've also seen him jump out to really, really hot starts early on with a new team. You saw that with the Chicago Cubs. In the spring training, he hit eight home runs, and then he ended up not doing much for that team and gets traded to the Braves. Uh, but even then, it helps lead them to the World Series. So I, I don't know. I, maybe he has more real value, you know, real-life value than he does fantasy value. I'm still going to chug him just because I think I like the situation better for it. Yeah, I I think one thing that's going to help, the Giants play so many matchups, and it's going to really get him in the right spots. He's not going to be an everyday player, right? Um, But there are more righties than lefties, so he's going to still get a lot of playing time. Um, But I look like, you know, last year, I think he just started off so poorly with the Cubs that – it kind of affects you. And last year, like he he did appear in sixty eight game or sixty four games against left handed pitchers. He got ninety eight at bats versus three thirty one um, righties. So far, he's only been used in one plate appearance against a lefty this year. All of his other plate appearances, thirty four others, have been against right handed pitchers. I, I think part of it, like you said, the comfortability that is something that I think is important to bring up. And uh, I think they're just going to use him a little bit better than the Cubs were last year. And so for that reason, I'm sipping Jock Peterson, not totally buying into it because I agree with you, the batting average is going to be low. But if you need power, I'll take a sip on it. Okay, uh, that'll do it for our breakout players. We're going to get to our shotgun six-pack quickly through these. The Yankees' letter becoming public is blank. 
it it, it leaves me speechless to be honest i mean it, it's it's i don't really have a take on this as of right now i think i need more time to like kind of let it marinate uh, is the best way to put it um so i'll put is second thought for me I'm going to say is really bad for Rob Manfred. If this comes out and they were cheating just like the Astros and and whoever else, and that they were trying to hide it to keep it away from baseball's biggest market, then um, that's a fireable offense. Like seriously for Rob Manfred. And I've already been on the train. I want Rob Manfred gone anyway, but like that seriously is um, hiding a a scandal like that. And also it would be, I think justice a little bit for the uh, Houston Astros. Okay. Luke Voigt is a blank player. I can't say the word on this podcast. Um, it starts with J and ends with ass. He's a jackass, really. I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll say it. I, he is not a – he's a terrible human being. There, there are worse words I can use. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's funny that Tommy Pham wants to get in a fight with him. <laughs> and uh, Dude, I don't know. Who are you picking in that fight? I'm taking Luke Foyt. I mean, Tommy Pham's been shot before, man. Yeah, but is that a is that a signal that you know he's going to be good in a fight or he got ni- he got like stabbed? I I don't know. That tells Tommy me Pham's, the guy who Derek Tommy Pham has seen some things, man. I what has Luke Voigt seen? He's seen a, a Dude, soda Luke machine. Voigt doesn't have a neck. He just has muscles. Are they muscles all, or do you think it's you know <laughs> I, like I don't know, man. I I Tommy Pham is a guy I don't mess with. I'm sorry, and especially if Tommy Pham is publicly saying I want to get in a fight with you. That's when I'm like, all right, I'm, 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 I'm out. I'm totally out. I'm sorry. If the guy has been stabbed, he's been shot, like, it, he wins. He wins. I tap out. I, I will hold my man card. I, I, it's, that's okay. Um, I will say Luke Voigt is a, a reckless player, might be the right word. Like, I don't think he's fully dirty. I just – he's almost, like, too big for his own good, I guess. Um, I, I do think that was kind of a dirty play, what he did to Tyler Stevenson, but you can, like, have a dirty play but not be a dirty player, if that makes sense. Um, so, I don't know. But uh, he certainly – boy, has, has that taken a turn for the worst from where he was a couple of years ago when he was, like, the leader in home runs in the shortened season, and now he is just uh, kind of falling off. All right, number three, more fun pitch. The sweeper, which is that new pitch that the MLB has officially termed. Andrew Heaney seems to be throwing it. Or the splinker, which is what <laughs> twins Johan Duran is throwing. Do you remember the gyro ball? That was my favorite. Yeah. I love I loved, that was Dice K Matsuzaka that threw that. We're just in that era now where, like, we're coming up with all weird names because everybody has all these different <laughs> grips and whatnot. Um, I think that I like the splinker better. That's just a really <laughs> bizarre name. And, you know, it's not like the splitter and the sinker are that far off. Uh, the grips are not too terribly different, too. Um, but I just like the name better, to be honest. I think the sweeper is kind of just a lazy way of saying the ball is slight, moving at maybe a slightly different diagonal. Yeah, I, I think the sweeper is probably more effective, and I don't know how many people are throwing the splinker, but you, you nailed it right there. It's so fun to say splinker. Um, and also the one that he threw, like I saw one on like Pitching Ninja. It was like 98 miles per hour, 20 inches of run. Like, okay, good luck hitting that. Okay, uh, number four, which young Los Angeles-based players breakout are you buying more, Gavin Lux or Brandon Marsh? I'm buying Gavin Lux. I think that Lux has had this in the tank all along, and – you know, there comes pressure with being a top prospect, and we've seen that across the board. We talked about it with Jerks and Profar. 
you remember Byron Buxton was a top prospect and he was not successful early on. And uh, if that guy can learn how to stay healthy, he could be an MVP candidate. Right. And I think Gavin Lux has shown that he's now got the pop in place. Uh, he's got himself an everyday starting job. The Dodgers traded away AJ Pollock with the intention in mind to give Gavin Lux his opportunity. They knew that there was something there and I just kind of buy that. I think that he's going to live up to what we all expected from him and, and expect that these numbers continue to get better over time too. Yeah. Gavin Lux for me, for sure. I do kind of like Brandon Marsh, but yeah, Lux has been awesome to start and just getting more plate appearances, more playing time. Uh, I think he's going to be huge for him. He's looked really good. Uh, more ill-timed Mauricio Dubon bunt. Up nine on the Padres, or earlier today at time of recording, coming into the game after there was an injury, filling in for a guy, he comes in with a one-two count and lays down a bunt. It's foul for strike three. <laughs> I mean, like, how do you bunt with a one-two count? I'm sorry. You should be – if you're at the major league level, you should be able to – hit the baseball in some capacity when you're down two strikes. Right. So I, I mean, obviously I think one of those was funny as a manager, you're sitting there shocked that the other manager's upset with you. And then with the one, two count as a manager, you're sitting there saying you're, you're shocked once again, that your player literally can't hit the dang baseball. Um, yeah. The worst one is the one, two count that should never happen. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the the Padres one because the whole idea of like, oh, you're trying to run up the score. It's like, well, then why are we even playing? Why yeah. don't we just call the game? And Can't it's like, well, why are you in a shift? Yeah. Why are you in a shift up nine? Just play normal then if you don't really care what happens from then on. Um, so I don't really care about that one. The one-two count against the Mets, like I partially get it because you came in for an injured player. You're not going to be prepared to face that guy. And that's what Gabe Kapler said after the game. But I also partially think that was Gabe Kapler just trying to have his guys back just to – you know, be a, a friendly, nice manager. Um, I do not get that at all. Like, what in the world? And this is not the first time that Mauricio Dubon would kind of have the brain fart on the field. There have been a lot of base running gaffes. Um, it's funny because when the Giants first traded for him and he came up and he was playing, they give up Will Smith to get him. It was like, wow, the Giants got this really young player who's going to contribute for a while. And now it's like, eh, we sure Mauricio Dubon's the guy. Okay, uh, last one. Robinson Cano having 0.4 more career war than Miguel Cabrera is blank. It's, it's surprising. Um, but his career batting average, I mean, you know, it's crazy. Robinson Cano has played for 17 seasons and that one blew me away when I saw that, uh, his career batting average is 302. So that's pretty impressive. His slug. Okay, but but, but, but Miguel there. Cabrera has played 20 seasons and his right. batting average is, um, gosh, I don't even know, like three, 310. One of them plays really good defense or played, played, I should say, played really good defense. And then the other one is known for their bat for a reason. And that's probably why that statistic is the way it is. Which player would you rather have? It's, it's no doubt Miguel Cabrera, number one, because he didn't cheat. And number two, he's a, absolute legend that has unbelievable pop and will go down into the hall of fame as an easy first ballot hall of famer while Robinson can know can walk away and shame knowing he got his money, but he kind of bent the rules to get it. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's shocking a little bit. It's surprising. It's, it's kind of frustrating to be honest, I, but you know, not every statistic tells the whole story. Right. And so mm -hmm. war kind of tells the whole story of a player 
uh, from both offensively and defensively. And Miguel Cabrera was not known for his defense, right? I mean, he's a big dude, uh, but he's known for the bat that he had. He's known for the great teammate he was, and he's going to be eventually known pretty quickly here as a guy that hit 3,000 hits. Yep, good for Miguel Cabrera. Uh, 12 seasons where he finished – in 12 consecutive seasons, I should say. 12 consecutive seasons where he finished top 15 in MVP voting. That stretch he had with the Tigers from, like, I don't know, like 2009 to maybe 2015, unbelievable. One of the best hitters of our lifetime. I I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, you're talking Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera. You know, you can have other people, but he's certainly in that conversation. All right, this has uh, been another episode of Booze and Baseball. He's Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Booze and Baseball. Maybe we'll put that up for a poll. Who would win in the fight, Luke Voigt or Tommy Pham? You decide. Well, Dusty, thanks for another episode, and we'll see you next time. That sounds like a plan. I pick Tommy Pham. <laughs>